Hey everybody and thank you for joining us on another episode of Institute with Sister Burke. Today we are joined by Brother Burke as well, so we welcome him. But today's lesson we talked about a controversial topic. We talked about blacks and the priesthood. This is an interesting topic because many people don't know the history behind it and there are many people who use this to to fight against the church. But in today's lesson we go into depth about about this topic and we also talk about hastening the work and the wonderful things that the prophets have done for us. And if you guys want to follow along, we're on the Institute Manual of chapter 27 and 28 of the Foundations of the Restoration. You are listening to The Life of a Missionary, a podcast that dives into the experiences of former missionaries of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My name is Enrique Nunez, and I will be your host for the journey of these mission stories from all over the world. Thanks for tuning in. All right, welcome back. We have a really hot topic tonight for our podcast. We have the wonderful Enrique Nunez and are so grateful to be in his studio. And we have Brother Roman Burke as our guest speaker. Tonight's topic is Blacks and the Priesthood. So maybe we'll just start with a question. Have you ever wondered or been asked to explain why Latter-day Saints of black African descent were restricted for a time from being ordained to the priesthood? Have either of you have ever run into that? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> serve a mission and you're going to get this question at some point. Yep. Where, where did you serve again? New England. Okay. Yeah. I, I served in Vegas and it has a very highly dense population of blacks. Yeah. Did it come up every time? I didn't serve around them too much, but whenever um, I was near the areas, yeah, it, it would they, it would come up a lot. So it's interesting. Our son served in Colombia, and one of his companions was of African descent, and he was teaching the gospel, and someone asked him, how can you join this church when you wouldn't have had the priesthood a few years ago? And he had never heard that blacks of African descent couldn't hold the priesthood. He had no idea that was part of our history, and it rocked his testimony. For a little while oh, no. so it's important to learn about our history just like last week we talked about mountain meadows massacre uh we've talked about polygamy we've talked about a lot of the parts that um you need to know about the restored church you need to be aware of the history so that you can answer those questions mm -hmm. if not for yourself then for other people who may at least run into that right yeah or who may have questions about it yeah for sure um Maybe let's just start with a little background so that people can have understanding of, you know, what, what happened. So let's maybe start back in 1830 when the church was established. And during that era, the U.S. was under a great racial division and many churches had segregate, segregated congregations, um, even back then when our own church was forming. And then we had that period of time with the church probably between 1840 to all the way to 1978 when black African men... Um, with any African descent could not be ordained to the priesthood or participate in temple endowment ceilings. But there were a few back in the very, very beginning of the church. Elijah Abel participated in a temple ceremony in Kirtland and was baptized for proxy baptisms in Nauvoo. Um, but in 1852, Brigham Young made the final announcement that men of African descent could no longer be ordained to the priesthood or participate in temple ordinances until the Lord revealed it was time. But he did prophesy that in a future time, those men would have all of those blessings returned to them. So that's just a little quick caption of history. 
And understanding, you know, even the U.S. history, in 1957, the U.S. Supreme Court declared that blacks possess no rights which the white man was bound to respect. And then in 1861, the Civil War breaks out, which we know eventually leads to the end of slavery in the U.S. and the whole um, separate but equal um, conversations that go on. And, and the racial integration goes all the way up to the 1950s. And more and more, it's becoming part of an American life. And, and that's when a lot of questions really get asked by President McKay and other church leaders who are asking the Lord for revelation. Is it time? Is it time? Can we allow... Uh, men of African descent to have the priesthood. And it wasn't until 1975 when they were putting in the Sao Paulo Brazil temple that the, the big questions were asked, is it time? Because now we have all these members with mixed ancestry and the Nigerians and, and um, people in Ghana were joining the church and it just was, it was obvious that it needed to happen. And so finally, President Kimball is the one and we'll talk about that, how that came to be. So that's just a quick overview of the timeline and, and, and the history, both in the church and in America, that helps us understand what was going on. I think that's really important too, to take that historical perspective and understand that the Lord has always only had humans to work with, right? Flawed, imperfect people who live in flawed and imperfect societies. And slavery wasn't right in the 1850s. It wasn't right to be discriminatory later on, but the Lord had to work with people where they were and the environment that they lived in and, and grew up in. It doesn't make it right. It just means that he had to work with imperfect people who lived in an imperfect system. Something that we, or I guess that I learned on our mission for answering these questions, because um, we don't really know why all this stuff happened. Like this is some, this is one of those questions that we say we we honestly don't know why the lord said this or why the the leaders of the church said this but we look back into the old into the new testament and we don't know why jesus christ said don't teach the gentiles no not not right now anyway and it's like that's weird because jesus christ himself said don't teach them yeah it's not your time Mm -hmm. and so once once he resurrected then he said okay now you guys can go preach to them well, and same with polygamy. Practice plural marriage now. Don't practice it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> go. You're inspired to go to Missouri to set up Zion. Now you're inspired to get out of Missouri to save your life. Mm-hmm. Now you're inspired to go to the West and build up the church. Um, there's always going to be questions. Now you're inspired to do home church so that you can get ready for a pandemic that you don't know is coming. <laughs> so there is always a reason for the revelation, and that is where the practice of faith comes in. Mm-hmm. And That happened, you know, the Book of Mormon teaches that all are alike unto God, including black and white, bond and free, male and female. We read that in 2 Nephi. And throughout the history of the church, people of every race and ethnicity in all the countries have been baptized and have lived as faithful members of the church. And, you know, we we mentioned earlier, way back in Joseph Smith's lifetime, um, black male members joined the church, were ordained to the priesthood, and that, that happened. So... Back and forth we go with Revelation. We are a revelatory church. We do believe that the Lord is in charge and it takes faith to follow that. Yeah, I think I think it's really important to understand that all of those concepts fit together here when we're talking about this, that, that the Lord has his own timing and he's got his own agenda and we don't always understand and it's he's not always going to have to explain to us, but he gives us a lot of good insight. And I think one of the ways he does that is through his apostles, um, some of whom 
have made statements in the past about both the experience of receiving uh, the revelation in 1978, as well as those who um, were trying to make make sense of it before the revelation, those who watched others suffer. And one of those actually, there's a great quote by Dallin H. Oaks that he actually made before he was a, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. He said, I observed the pain and frustration experienced by those who suffered these restrictions and those who sought for the reasons, the explanation. I studied the reasons then being given and could not feel confirmation of the truth of any of them. As part of my prayerful study, I learned that in general, the Lord rarely gives reasons for the commandments and directions he gives us, he gives to his servants. I determined to be loyal to our prophetic leaders and to pray, as promised from the beginning of these restrictions, that the day would come when all would enjoy the blessings of the priesthood and temple. So what circumstances led to the revelation from the Lord extending the priesthood to all worthy male members and and the temple blessings to all the worthy members? So there's there's several. There's one we talked about, the Brazil Temple. Um, that That's when a big question came with President McKay. But then in 1964, there's a story about Joseph William um, Billy Johnson of Cape Coast, Ghana. And, the, you know, the mission, the church is spread to Africa at this point. Missionaries are going there. And he had gained a testimony of the restored gospel after reading the Book of Mormon and other church literature that had been given to him. And Brother Johnson and others who joined the church sent letters to President McKay requesting that missionaries be sent to Africa to baptize him and others with whom he shared the gospel. And President McKay responded that missionaries would be sent, and, and what he said, quote, was in the Lord's due time, unquote. So Brother Johnson would continue to study the gospel and help his fellow believers, but had to wait. And that would be such a heartbreak. You know, we've, we've actually heard this story in several different countries where people knew it was true, but couldn't have it yet. We, in fact, we have an institute student who his country doesn't have missionaries yet, and he learned about the gospel online. So that happens. And although there was no opportunity at the time for Brother Johnson to be baptized, he and a few other diligent good brothers spread the gospel in Ghana for many years. And he organized a number of congregations of believers and even led them in regular fasts, which they pled for missionaries to come to their land and established a church among them. I mean, think of the faith. These believers in Ghana and thousands of other people of black African descent gained testimonies of the restored gospel as missionary work spread throughout the world. And the leaders of the church were inspired by the faith of these kind of individuals. And they wanted to extend the blessings of the priesthood to them and the blessings of the temple to them too. Can you imagine being a missionary who walks into that situation when the church sends missionaries finally to the people of Ghana. Can you imagine being one of the first there and there's entire congregations of people who have been living the gospel and teaching the scriptures to one another, but who have not had the priesthood and cannot be members of the church at the time. Can you imagine what that experience would have been like as, as just a missionary? I mean, be awesome. To, to quote uh, President Holland, you'd probably get hypothermia from being in the baptismal <laughs> font too long. <laughs> Except you're in Africa in the rivers, you'd be fine. Yeah. I'll bet that <laughs> was a pretty, pretty powerful <laughs> experience, though, for those yeah. those members of the church. Yeah. Oh, the, the, the happiness that they must have felt yeah. to finally get missionaries. Right. Whew. Yeah. That takes a ton of faith to do that without having any priesthood leadership or organization, right? Um, the other, I think, really good one is 
some of the words that President Kimball and, and other members of the Quorum of the Twelve have written about their own experiences during that during that time and what led to their asking the Lord and and uh, seeking an answer, seeking help on this. And um, I, I love this particular quote by President Kimball. He said, I knew that something was before us that was extremely important to many of the children of God. Day after day, I went alone and with great solemnity and seriousness in the upper rooms of the temple. And there I offered my soul and offered my efforts to go forward with the program. I wanted to do what he wanted. I talked about it to him and said, Lord, I only want what is right. We want only the thing that thou dost want, and we want it when you want it, and not until. The Lord made, made it very clear to me what was to be done. Uh, and then finally, June 1st, 1978, President Spencer W. Kimball received a revelation from the Lord that lifted the restrictions on priesthood ordinances and temple ordinances for those church members of black African descent. And this is a powerful act of faith that uh, it brought so much joy to the church as a whole when it was announced worldwide. Um, here's another quote from President Kimball. It says, We have pleaded long and earnestly in behalf of these, our faithful brethren, spending many hours in the upper room of the temple, supplicating the Lord for divine guidance. He has heard our prayers and by revelation has confirmed that the long-promised day was come when every faithful, worthy man in the church may receive the holy priesthood with power to exercise its divine authority and enjoy with his loved ones every blessing that flows therefrom, including the blessings of the temple. Imagine that moment. I, I have family members who talk about what it was like to hear that over the radio and, and to read it in the newspaper that the day had finally come. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to talk to members of the church who lived prior uh, to this revelation, who grew up in those, in those systems. I mean, I, I, my grandmother was from Georgia. I love her dearly, but she was raised in a very racially divided environment. And it was really interesting to talk to her before she died about what that was like to hear President Kimball make that announcement. And, and it was, uh, I, I remember this as a, as a teenager, asking her, Grandma, what did you think about that experience? And she said it was really hard for her as a person, but that when she knew that President Kimball had received that, that message from the Lord, she knew it was the right thing. And, and I found that really an interesting just study in human personalities, but also in faith. And, and it was one that I really appreciated because she was raised in a situation where she grew up with racial inequality. That was part of her heritage. And uh, it, it, was, it was really amazing to me to think about the power that the gospel has on our individual lives, that it can help us overcome the fallacies and the problems of the world by, by getting rid of false um, untruths and accepting truth when we hear it. And, and my grandma is an example of that. Wonderful woman who was raised with a lot of false beliefs just because of the environment she lived in. And when she heard the truth, was able to accept it because she knew that that's who the Lord's prophet was and that what the Lord had directed him to do was divine. 
And, yeah. and I love that about the gospel, that it, ha- it has the ability in each of us to change. Yeah, so many people ha- will always remember that day and when it came through. Um, I like this quote from President Hinckley, who was a member of the Quorum of the Twelve at the time the revelation was received. And he describes what it was like to be in the temple that day. He said, we joined in prayer in the most sacred of circumstances. President Kimball himself was voiced in that prayer. There was a hollowed and sanctified atmosphere in the room. For me, it felt as if a conduit opened between the heavenly throne and the kneeling, pleading prophet of God who was joined by his brethren. The Spirit of God was there, and by the power of the Holy Ghost, there came to that prophet an assurance that the thing for which he prayed was right. All of us that that time had come for a change and that the decision had come from the heavens, the answer was clear. There was perfect unity among us in our experience and in our understanding. Powerful moment, I think, for so many people. So, Enrique, if someone asked you why the priesthood and temple restrictions were even existed, what what would you tell them? What would you discuss? Or what did you do as a missionary? Well, we kind of touched on it a little earlier, but it, like I said, it's one of those things that we just don't really have a full comprehension of. Um there are certain things that that God does that we don't understand why. Um, as far as, as this kind of things, I don't know. Maybe maybe the church was fearful of of more even more backlash than they already had. Maybe as one of those things where they don't they don't want to leave the Salt Lake Valley again because I mean the whole country is against against um, the blacks having anything equal to do with 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 white people. And for an organization that's already hated to be like, no, we'll, we'll take him in. That that might have been it for for the church. Maybe that's just the that's just the you know. Right, and there, I mean, throughout history, up until recent times, segregation is part of biblical history, world history, national history. You have all of these divided groups, and until recently, in the last 40, 50 years, you have inter racial marriages and now Mm. our races are so blurred we you know you go to do a dna test and you come from all of these different nations not just england or not Mm -hmm. just ghana i think it's also important to point out that that our church was never segregated the church never had separate congregations of people they were always they were always a mixture of people wherever the church was but that specifically male members could not hold the priesthood meaning they could be baptized, they could become members of the church, but they could not hold the priesthood. And I think that's an important thing to remember, that we're not talking about you can't join the church. We're talking about you can join the church, but there are, there are limits to certain blessings that were given. And I think that that's an important point. I, I think, I, and I agree with you completely, Enrique, that there are a lot of things that we don't understand entirely when the Lord gives it to us. And we, we don't always have a perfect explanation. I, I happen to love, you know, the, the, the reference you made to the Savior in the New Testament that talks about how we don't always understand what the Lord's timing is on things, right? He, I think it's Matthew chapter 15 where he talks to the woman of Canaan and he tells her, you're not, it's not your time, right? Like, we don't know why the Lord's timing is what it is. But right. um, yeah, I think... I think it's important to, you know, to look at the fact that there are a lot of um, theories out there that have been kind of put forth over the years about why this happened. 
and and really um you know some of those are incorrect completely like it, it's wrong to speculate about why the lord did that because we don't know and i think i think that today church leaders will will tell anyone who asks unequivocally that that any form of racism past present or future is wrong um, and so that any speculative theories out there, whether put forth by other members of the church or not, is still incorrect. So, for instance, you know, there, there, are, there are ideas out there that there is divine disfavor or a curse on people who have uh, black skin. Or that it reflects unrighteous actions in the pre-mortal life or that mixed race marriages are a sin. Those are all theories or opinions of others. And they are not church doctrine. I think that those are important things to point out about all of that. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's important not to speculate about all these different reasons? Because there have, I mean, we've had a hundred years to come up with theories as to why they can't have the priesthood. Well, it just creates tension. It creates uh, hostility in some people. Um, there, there are people that think that, that it's anybody of mixed color or, or of a different color. Like somebody came up to me on my mission and said, Oh, the, your church didn't accept you before. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> so I think it just creates a lot of tension and it creates a lot of different um, ideas, uh, and it shakes a lot of people's testimony if they don't if they don't study it correctly and if they don't know the facts. Well, and it really shook testimony as people joined the church during that area. Like George Rickford was one example. He was speaking to a close friend about his experiences with the missionaries, and he was teaching his friend about the prophet Joseph Smith. And he recalled this in his journal. He said, as I told that story, I came alive and something took over and I just radiated. And this is a moment where George's testimony, regardless of his concerns about the priesthood restriction, they still remained. But as he prayed further for understanding, the message came to him. You don't have to understand everything about my gospel before you commit yourself to it. Why don't you show your faith by accepting what you've heard and commit the rest into my hands? And that comforting message, um, George prayerfully responded, Yes, Lord, I will. I will take it in faith. And thank you, by the way. Thank you. And two months later, George was baptized and became a faithful member of the church. And, you know, this is, this is a big topic to be faithful on. There's many other topics that we could say maybe we're not as faithful even in getting your food storage or, you know, preparing for a moment. But in 1975, three years before the revelation on the priesthood, George accepted the priesthood ban in faith without any reservation and expressed his belief that whatever his own condition then, God was just. And he said, I am just grateful that the Lord's priesthood is once again upon the earth with all its attendant blessings, authority, and responsibility, and it matters less to me who has it and who hasn't but much more how it is utilized. And his example is really powerful. I mean, for us to have faith that the Lord has a bigger vision than we do, that the Lord has a greater understanding than we do, is what the biggest challenge of this life is. Well, I think it's kind of a difficult situation because there's a lot of times when people say, well, we should question what, what certain people say. But at the same time, we shouldn't question it because it's of God. But then it goes back to like, we should question it because, you know, why not? (laughs) 
I think it's the I think it's the way that we ask the question, isn't it? That if we're sincerely seeking an answer from the Lord, and we are willing to accept whatever answer He gives us, then that can be enough for us. Sometimes that makes sense. There, there are times when the Lord wants us to study and ask and to learn by 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 prayer, by faith, um, by by study. But I think that we have to understand that there is an intent for our questions that we need to trust his answers when he gives them to us. And I think one of the reasons why it's dangerous to speculate is that people often associate the answer to this with men, with humans, with the prophet, with the 12 apostles. Remember that this is not them. This is the Lord. It's his church. He's the one who directed his previous servants to say, not yet, not yet. Is it mm -hmm. the prophet? Is he, is he out in left field because this hasn't happened yet? No. It's the Lord's timing. And I think we have to be very clear about saying this is the Lord's choice. It's the Lord's church. These are just his servants. And they're doing what he asks when he asks it. And we live in an era when we want answers, right? We, yeah. we want instant things. <laughs> we want the light to turn on when we flip the switch. We want water to come out when we open the faucet. Like We want it in two days from Amazon. We want it all right we, now. If we can't Google it, it, it must be wrong. We yeah. freak out if it's buffering. Right. <laughs> Spinning, Wi-Fi not working. But when we have unanswered questions, we can move forward with faith, like this example that George, uh, written by George before the priesthood, and we have to have that faith to rely on the light and knowledge that God's given us. And, you know, even right now, when will we get back to normal? When will the world reopen? When will things feel like they were before? We don't have the answer to that, and, and we don't know how long this will last. We don't know how long we'll be doing podcasts for Institute versus being in a classroom and, and having that participation, but... Sometimes we must wait on the Lord and trust that he has the answer. Yeah. Um, I, I love this quote by Elder Anderson. He said, uh, faith never demands an answer to every question, but seeks the assurance and courage to move forward. Sometimes acknowledging, I don't know everything, but I do know enough to continue on the path of discipleship. Yeah, that's powerful. How has the light and knowledge God's given us helped move us forward in faith? Dwight, did you have an example you could share? No. Just kidding. <laughs> well, I guess it's more like, uh, kind of like Nephi's examples, where he says that he'll go and do what the Lord commands him. There's a lot of, uh, I don't remember the exact way of saying it, but there's like a blind faith kind of thing, a blind obedience kind of thing in the scriptures where the prophets don't know why the Lord's telling them to do it, but they know that it's from the Lord, like you said, and so they do it. <laughs> like, he didn't know that he could build a boat. He didn't know that why they had to leave Jerusalem. He didn't know all of these things, but because he was sincere in, in asking his questions, the Lord answered him. Yeah. Think if you could say to Nephi, young Nephi, who says, I will go and do we know the rest of the story. We read the rest, right? We know you're going to struggle in the wilderness. You know, you're going to go back to Jerusalem to get plates and go back to get wives. And then your wives are going to have to bear children in the wilderness. You're going to have to build a boat and sail across the sea and get tied up. And then when you make it to the promised land, you're going to divide with your family. Like we know all the things coming. If we could sit down with Nephi and say, you really want to go and do? Because let me just give you a hint <laughs> of what's coming your way. But I think there are many times in our own life, you know, when you get married and say, I do, or yes, across the altar. When you make that commitment, if you had Nephi's faith in your head, I will go, I will do, I will stay married, I will be
be committed to this regardless of what's coming because let me tell you you're going to want girls and you'll get boys and and you'll think you're going to have this perfect life and there'll be stumbles and then you think everything's (laughs) going great and you get hit by a car like i'm telling you it's not what you think it's going to (laughs) be but if you have that kind of faith to go forward you're going to make it happen yeah michelle thought she was going to get carrie grant she ended up getting jim gaffigan i mean her her bubble was burst it took a lot of faith for her to move forward with that didn't it Michelle. But the Lord has a purpose for all things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's I think it's true of anything that is asked of us in faith that we we don't have a perfect understanding. We don't always have a perfect knowledge of it. It it doesn't mean that it's bad to ask. It just means simply that we must ask in faith and trust that the Lord's answer will be appropriate to our ability to understand it. I think it's interesting to note that the day after the revelation on the priesthood was received, we go back to this George Rickford example. He was ordained a priest in the Aaronic priesthood the day after, and he received the Melchizedek priesthood soon after that. And in October of the same year, he and his wife, June, were sealed together in with their four children as an eternal family in the London, England temple. Wow. So it's, in, it's incredible the impact that that revelation had on the church, its members, and its people throughout the world. You know, I... I think back on our own experiences, even, you know, as our own family, Michelle, and and if you, so we, while I was in medical school in in Philadelphia, we went to a ward that was downtown in Philadelphia, and West Philadelphia, where we went to church, is a a community that is 98% African American, and we had people from all kinds of backgrounds, West African, Central African, in fact, at one point in our ward, I loved this ward, Enrique, it was a, it was an awesome ward. At one point, we had people from 28 different countries and all six populated continents in our one ward. Wow. It was amazing. We had, we had uh, Sunday school in Spanish, and Gospel Essentials had at least seven different languages or dialects that were used at one point. And I loved it. But I will tell you that working amongst a lot of West African immigrants, I really gained this strong love for why the Lord needed the priesthood to go forth at the time that he did. And these young men that I got to work with then and there are amazing examples to me of faith in the Lord. And and it strengthened me as an individual to be able to be in that situation and to and to work with those boys who came from amazing situations. I mean, countries that had been torn apart by civil war parents who had been killed simply because they looked different than another member of their own country. And, and I am so grateful to know them. They have enriched my lives as my life as a member of the church to be associated with them. Well, and that revelation caused us to move into a time where the Lord is truly hastening his work for everyone. And we hear that with president Nelson saying it's time to gather and that the gathering is the most important work that we could be doing Um, If we go back to March 1842, Joseph Smith described the destiny of the Lord's gospel in his church when he wrote a letter um, in response to a request about information about the church belief, which was by John Wentworth, and he was the editor of the newspaper in Chicago, Illinois. And in the letter, the prophet described the rise, progress, persecution, and faith of the Latter-day Saints. And this is a portion of the letter that we now call the standard of truth. You could probably recite it from memory. Yeah. Maybe. Did you guys have to recite this in your mission? Yeah. Did you learn it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Should we stand and and say it? No, no. (laughs) You know, well, it wasn't like super required to learn it, but we were supposed to. Yeah. 
And then our mission president said, okay, you guys have to learn it. But he never really was like, you have to learn it. So we're kind of like, yeah, we'll study it. And then at one uh, state conference, I think, the mission president said, okay, everybody, all your missionaries in your ward stand in front, and they're going to recite this this uh, standard, standard truth. truth. And we're like, oh, no. Let's see if you can both do it. No, I'm I'll, not going to try it. I'll start, and you no. guys see if you can recite it. No. The we, standard we of truth stand, has we'd been. We stand before every zone conference and do it, actually. It was, That's good. It was cool. I'm not going to be able to do it. You can do it. It's been six years. <clears throat> The standard of truth has been erected. No unhallowed hand can stop the work from progressing. <laughs> Persecutions may rage. Mobs may, may combine. combine. Armies, Armies may, may assemble. assemble. Colony, colony may defame. defame. But the, the truth, truth of God, God will go, go forth, forth boldly, nobly, and, and independent, independent till it has penetrated, penetrated every continent, continent visited, visited every clime, swept every country, and sounded in every ear. ear. Till the purposes of God shall be accomplished and the great Jehovah shall say, the work is done. That's crazy. It's like muscle memory. It It is. It's a good one though. I, I, you know what I love about that? It gives you this assurance that God who is in charge of this work is going to accomplish everything that he ever said he Mm -hmm. would. There is a statement in there of such confidence and conviction that it helps me whenever you start to, you know, maybe question or be concerned, is the church off course? Are we okay? And, and that statement brings a lot of confidence to me that the Lord is in charge of this work and and he will not fail. President Ballard had a quote that said, persecutions have raged calumny and lies (laughs) and misrepresentation have attempted to defame, but in every decade from the time of the restoration forward, the truth of God has gone forth boldly, nobly and independent. And that little church started in 1830 with just a handful of members has now grown to millions of Latter-day Saints in all different nations around the whole world. And we're well on our way to penetrating every continent, literally with social media and other podcasts like this one, visiting every clime, (laughs) sweeping every country and sounding in every ear. And he concludes by saying, this is God's work. God's work will not be frustrated. So just to interrupt, I, I was watching or I was kind of trying to read through this lesson and it has a video that is dated to 2017 and I've seen it before, but it shows all of these little dots of stakes and temples all over the world. And it's insane how it's been maybe the last 30, 40 years that it just blew up, mm-hmm. but I was watching it and I got super, not super emotional, but I got emotional because like, wow, this is, this is really true. <laughs> There's no way this can't be true. Um, it was just, it's just all over the world. And that was three years ago. Well, and they and they just showed that video during conference of all the temples since President Nelson's oh, that's live, true. right? That's Which true. was similar. But yeah, it is powerful how how much we are bursting forth right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I think it's important to know what President Nelson and other members of the Quorum of the Twelve have pointed out that we think of the restoration as a historical event that occurred a long time ago, but recently they they have they have revisited that subject and and indicated to us that we're not done with the restoration. It's not over. In fact, this quote from Elder Uchtdorf is a a great one. Sometimes we think of the restoration of the gospel as something that is complete, already behind us. Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon. He received priesthood keys. The church was organized. In reality, the restoration is an ongoing process. We are living in it right now. Yeah, and President Nelson says these are exciting days. The Lord is hastening his work right before our eyes, and it is thrilling. It is rigorous. 
More is required from each of us more than ever before, and more is being given. He's such a bold and confident prophet. It's, it's an honor, honestly, to be in the church at this time with him as our leader. Mm-hmm. I think since I can remember, President Hinckley was, was my prophet, <laughs> and his main focus was obviously temples. And then President Monson was also my prophet because mm-hmm. he was the one that was in yeah. office. Are you starting a collection? In yes. <laughs> when, when I went on my mission, he was, he was the prophet. And so his big focus was missionary work. So I was like, yes, I'm a missionary. I'm going out. And so it was all just hasten the work. Everything was hasten the work. Go out and preach. Go out and teach, teach members. Members teach their friends and their families, et cetera, et cetera. And I saw that on my mission. And now with President Nelson, it's like, just, just do everything. <laughs> yeah. And do it really good and do it really fast. Yeah. And and I think we have a responsibility to do that. You know, he's really calling on us to reach out and minister to our neighbors in any moment and that everybody needs to hear the gospel and everyone needs to be gathered in and But you gotta make sure you're six feet away. But make sure you're six feet away. <laughs> <laughs> but we you know, we talked about at the end of last class. Every day you can post something on social media. Every day you can text a friend or call a friend or connect with someone. And I really feel like that's a something that we need to really consider. What does the Lord want us to do to personally participate in the hastening of his work? And that, that would be my challenge for you this week is to write a plan. What will you do to assist the Lord? And as you create a plan, be specific about how you will do it and when you will act on it. Because the Lord needs our help. He needs us. We are the ones on earth right now to make it happen. Yeah, there's a great quote by Elder Bednar uh, about that very subject. And he says, The Lord is hastening his work, and it is no coincidence that powerful communication, innovations, and inventions are occurring in the dispensation of the fullness of times. Social media channels are global tools that can personally and positively impact large numbers of individuals and families. And I believe the time has come for us as disciples of Christ to use these inspired tools appropriately and more effectively to testify of God, the eternal father, his plan of happiness for his children and his son, Jesus Christ, as the savior of the world to proclaim the reality of the restoration of the gospel in the latter days and to accomplish the Lord's work. You know, we we talk a lot about um, having faith and, and so often we're worried about whether or not someone has enough faith to believe. The truth is that faith is an action word, right? It's, it's a word that asks us not just to believe, but to act upon that belief, right? I mean, isn't that what the Apostle James teaches in the New Testament? A man may say, I have faith, and, I, and another may say, I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works, right? It, the truth is the Lord invites us to participate in his work with him. And when we do, we are able to learn from that experience which he invites us to participate in. So when the Lord's prophet invites us to participate in hastening the work, it can come in so many ways. And, it, and as long as we are willing to act upon those promptings that we might receive, we will be able to grow and develop in a way that the Lord wants us to grow and develop. And in turn, we become a better servant, and we become more um, more converted to the work. He's made it really simple for us. Um, it comes down to asking him in prayer, what would you like us to do today? And 
as simple as following a prompting, making a positive comment on someone's post, putting our testimony or our beliefs in a positive way out into the world. Um, literally, those are all at our fingertips. And those are all things we can do right now, today, in, any, in every moment. It's just choosing to listen to those promptings and doing and acting on it. And my, the great quote from conference, we, we talked about it last week as well, but the Lord loves effort. So make your plan and make that happen this week. And we'll talk more on Thursday. Thanks for being here.